On this episode of EHS on Tap, we'll be taking a close look at how EPA's recent rulemaking, finalizing regulations on hazardous waste generators, and whether the EPA's proclamation that this rule makes the regulations more user-friendly, more understandable, and provides greater flexibility to the regulated community holds true. On this episode, Key Concepts of the Hazardous Waste Generator Improvements Rule, we speak with Scott Dunsmore with Lion Technologies. Scott has over 20 years of experience with safety and environmental regulations compliance training. He has presented hundreds of training programs to thousands of students from all areas of industry, government, and educational institutions. Prior to joining Lion Lion Technologies, Scott worked as an environmental manager for an international chemical manufacturer. Welcome to the podcast, Scott. Thank you, Emily. It's good to be here. So today we're going to be talking about um, a recent rulemaking by the Environmental Protection Agency, or the EPA, that deals with the Resource Conservation Recovery Act, better known as RCRA. So this is an environmental landmark statute that regulates uh, wastes from cradle to grave. And so as I understand it, this rulemaking is sort of going to shake things up um, in the world of waste. And I was wondering, Scott, if in a few sentences and thinking kind of big picture, big picture for our listeners, that you can give a, a brief rundown of what uh, a hazardous waste generator is and um, what this rule is going to do to those impacted. All right. I'll have to put my uh, trainer cap on to try and be as concise as I can, but in general, uh, any site that produces materials that would meet uh, EPA's definition of hazardous waste, and they have a very specific uh, structured definition for that, any site that produces one of those materials is going to be considered a generator. Uh, Now, the rules have different requirements for different levels of generation, essentially based on the amount that that site produces. And the gist is, the more the site produces, the more details or the more rigorous requirements that they might have. I don't know if this is good news or bad news, but this rule is essentially probably going to hit every level of generator in some way, shape, or form. Okay, so um, thanks for giving us that brief introduction. And it it seems like this rule is going to impact quite a few players in the uh, waste world. So... Um, with this new rule, Scott, can you tell us a little bit about how the waste determination process has changed? Sure. Uh, yeah, now I'll start with the, the good news, maybe, uh, in that the, the definition of what a hazardous waste is is not changing in this rule. And technically, neither is the method that the generators have to use to make that determination. Uh, however, Uh, There are some notable changes. One of the things that is notable uh, is in the method requirements for that determination, the EPA has added uh, more detail, maybe clarification, if you will, on what they would consider to be acceptable knowledge in making that decision. Essentially, a generator is going to use a combination of uh, tests, uh, testing their waste, and knowledge to determine if their stuff meets the definition of hazardous waste, EPA is 
is adding some language to indicate the types of things they would consider to be ex acceptable knowledge. So it's not technically more stringent, but generators should go back to their waste determination process where they're using knowledge to make sure that what they have used in the past would be in line with what EPA's expectations are. Now, maybe the potential bad news of this uh, waste determination uh, is how EPA treats uh, the, the generator status uh, based on the types of hazardous waste that are produced. Essentially, there are two types, two categories of hazardous waste, uh, acute hazardous waste and non-acute. Acute hazardous waste would be, would be materials that meet the definition that meet that because uh, they have some sort of uh, immediate acute effect to human health or the environment, things like certain pesticides and other poisons mm -hmm. and so on. Uh, the way that the, the waste determination rules have changed with respect to that uh, is that EPA requires the generator to uh, look at how much of each of these different categories of hazardous waste that they produce in a calendar month, count them separately, uh, and there are different thresholds that define the the generator categories, whichever of those thresholds is the more stringent uh, threshold is the generator designation for that site for the month. So this is a potential change. Under the existing rules, there was some language that indicated that a site would count their acute and non-acute separately. And in some cases might have technically two different generator statuses in the, in the impact of the rules, one for acute, one for non-acute. Under this change, you count them separately, but whichever threshold is the more stringent applies to all of the waste at the site. So okay. sites that produce a relatively small amount of non-acute hazardous waste may have had some relief, but if they produce uh, adequate portions of acute, now the entire amount of hazardous waste is going to be subject to the to the more stringent requirements, which might mean the most stringent requirements as a large quantity generator. Interesting. So, Scott, I also want to clarify one thing, and maybe you can add your two cents here. Sure. Um, when, you, when there's no new definition, but there's a couple, the EPA has added a few um, terms or, or ways to, you know, the, the knowledge piece that you mentioned, is that something that will help the regulated community understand this complex rule, you know, better? Or is it just something that the EPA has done to, you know, um, increase its regulations or something like that? Well, yeah, in, in terms of, at least in terms of the the addition of clarification language for acceptable knowledge. Technically, EPA's position is that's not going to make the rules more stringent. Uh, I, I think what it could do is it does bring some of these topics back to the surface, uh, things that generators may have dealt with in the past and you know, ways that they're continuing to produce. They've, they've done the determination. They haven't thought about it. They've just gone into management over the years. What this mm -hmm. might do is it raises those topics to the surface again, uh, which does mean that it could it could be things that uh, their site inspectors ask anew because okay. uh, the topics have been raised. So right. um, 
I, I think in that sense, it's not necessarily that those things were intended to add more rigor to the requirements, but right. uh, certainly could, by the attention, require some action. Okay, interesting. Okay, so I want to get into something just a, a little bit different. So there's something known as a satellite accumulation area. Can you yeah. talk about this and and what is new in managing hazardous waste in these specific satellite accumulation areas? Sure. Yeah, satellite accumulation area is a storage option that has essentially been available to generators uh, in the hazardous waste rule since about the end of 1984, December uh, 1984 is when EPA promulgated this uh, addition. Prior to that, essentially a generator had uh, two options for storing their hazardous waste on site. Get a permit, which most wouldn't want to do, mm-hmm. or store them under the, uh, at that point, the large quantity generator 90-day storage option, so, uh, which was still pretty rigorous for certain places at a facility site that might uh, produce small amounts and accumulate those small amounts uh, right at that point uh, for a period of time uh, under the old cycle, even if they had just a little bit, they would have had to get rid of it within 90 days or you know, have to get a permit. Mm-hmm. So what this option did is allowed generators to accumulate small amounts uh, of hazardous waste uh, at various places at the site where the waste is actually produced uh, under lesser stringent requirements. Uh, so that's the concept of satellite accumulation areas. The, the changes that we see uh, in the generator improvements rule and there's a couple of key uh, things to uh, to see. Uh, one is a clarification. So again, it's not adding any substantive requirements, but uh, the rules were never very clear on who could follow this option. Uh, now the the language of the rule is is making it clear that the option is available to both large and small quantity generators. And the reason why there was that gap is essentially just the history of it. Uh, when it came out in 1984. The small quantity generators really didn't exist in the regulations. They didn't. They didn't get added until July of 1986. So there was this built-in gap as a result. Uh, so now the rules are adding that clarification. It's not substantively or fundamentally changing it, but it's making it clear that both generators can do that. Mm-hmm. One of the noticeable things uh, that uh, we see in the changes is that. Uh, all of the requirements that you had to follow for managing the containers under satellite in the past you had to go to tsdf requirements to go do that Uh, now what epa has done is rolled them into the rules so you only have to look at that particular place in the regulations to see how to manage that waste but in doing so uh, they did add uh, a more stringent uh, element Uh, by adding the the TSDF requirement for uh, addressing incompatible material storage, something you didn't technically have to worry about, probably a good practice to do prior to this, but under the rules, it wasn't a a, a requirement to keep your incompatible waste and materials away from each other in a satellite accumulation point. Now generators will have to do that under that option. Uh, On a lesser stringent side, uh, one of the changes uh, is uh, the EPA did uh, add some language in the container management rules that would allow for the container to be open temporarily after adding the waste, 
when it was necessary from a standpoint of operation of the process or from a standpoint of uh, some potential hazards associated with closing the container too quickly. Uh, under the existing rules, really, you need to close the container as soon as you're done adding waste. So this is adding a little bit more flexibility, though I'll caution, because it is a lesser stringent requirement, uh, sites are going to have to assure that their states will allow them to do that. But that right. is, uh, that's an example yeah. of some substantive changes as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and there's a lot of state factors that play in here. So thank you for that on the satellite accumulation areas. So another big change in the regulations that we think will greatly impact many folks regulated under uh, RICRA and the hazardous waste generators is the marking and labeling requirements for containers and tanks. So how did the EPA change these regulations and what is now required? Yeah, uh, and, and actually technically they also made uh, some uh, marking changes to the satellite area uh, containers as well. Uh, and there's some consistency now across uh, the various uh, options of satellite large and small quantity generators. Essentially, uh, for large and small quantity generators in their central storage areas, there are three pieces of information that are going to have to be marked uh, visibly on their containers. And, and they are the words hazardous waste, and they've always had to do that, uh, and the accumulation date, the date that the waste in that container first uh, became subject to a management under that large or small quantity generator uh, requirement. The new piece is the requirement to also include an indication of the hazard or hazards of the contents in that uh, in that container or tank. Uh, this is new. Uh, this is not something that EPA had required in the past. Uh, now, it's not prescriptive. In other words, there's not a specific method that EPA is looking for in accomplishing that. They are building in some flexibility. Uh, they give some examples in the rules. They actually lay out some specific types of ways that a generator can do that. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, the generator can choose simply to use words related to the characteristics of the waste. So if the waste was hazardous due to ignitability, the generator could right. mark the word ignitable uh, or flammable okay. on the container and satisfy that requirement. They could use uh, kind of adopting concepts from the OSHA hazard communication standard. They could uh, communicate uh, that by putting the appropriate pictograms yeah. uh, for okay. that material or, or the hazard statements under HAZCOM uh, or both. Uh, so again, now OSHA doesn't regulate hazardous waste under HAZCOM, but EPA says that's a common type of communication for devices in the workplace. The generator can choose to use that as well. They can use other systems for doing so, and there's some common uh, uh, programs out there for labeling types of hazards like the uh, NFPA, uh, the National Fire Protection Association has a multicolored diamond uh, uh, labeling system. Uh, there's also another uh, program called the Hazardous Material Identification System, or HMIS, commonly known types of systems. Uh, generator can use one of those as well. Or EPA says there could be other appropriate means 
uh, for identifying those hazards in the in the waste in the, in the tanks. So yeah. it seems yeah, like there's same a with the tanks. Same with the yeah. tanks. Now for the date on the tank, I'll just add the clarification. Uh, they don't have to put the date on the tank uh, to save them from having to remark it every 90 days or 180 days, but they do have to have some sort of log or record or inventory. Mm-hmm that demonstrates that that waste was removed uh, at least every 90 or 180 days as would be appropriate for the generator category. So that is something that is, again, more stringent uh, from a uh, uh, communication standpoint. Okay, yeah, I just want to get back real fast on this third prong, that this new one, and I yeah. just have a follow-up question. Um, there's, so there's a lot of flexibility that you mentioned. You went through a bunch of different varieties of, of, of ways that uh, folks can can comply with this this new um, requirement. Has the EPA provided any information on what's not acceptable? Have they, you, you know, like kind of the reverse of what we just talked about? Is there any specific thing that will not satisfy right. this third prong? Yeah, the, the closest would probably be waste codes. Okay. Uh, putting waste codes. So no uh, waste on, codes on them to indicate the hazards. Um, There's a little discussion of that in the preamble, plus you then marry that with separate requirements for putting waste codes on at the time of shipment to the TSDF. It's very clear that EPA's position is that waste codes would not satisfy that, and it does make sense because there are some waste codes uh, that will not be very clear as to what the hazard is of that uh, particular material. Some of the characteristics that make sense, characteristic waste codes, you have a rough idea what the hazard is. But for a lot of the listings, the waste code isn't really going to tell the folks around it why it is hazardous. Mm -hmm. Right. Excellent. Thanks for that clarification. So another question that I have for you, Scott, is that the EPA has two voluntary programs. First, the uh, consolidation of uh, VSQG's hazardous waste at, at, at an LQG LGQ, excuse me, under the same ownership, and second, managing hazardous waste from an, an episodic event. Can you describe both of these uh, briefly and what they may mean for those regulated? Sure, yeah. Um, these might be some anticipated uh, relief that's been added to the hazardous waste rules, kind of the probably the, the more good news out of, uh, out of the, the requirement. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, very small quantity generators, which were formerly known as conditionally exempt small quantity generators, uh, essentially by producing very little waste, uh, were removed from a great part of the hazardous waste management requirements. But one of the things that the rules did specify is that that generator had to ensure delivery of that waste to a number of different types of waste facilities. Uh, which included uh, permitted hazardous waste uh, landfills, uh, universal waste facilities. Uh, It could even be municipal solid waste landfills, potentially. Uh, They never did, in the language, allow that to be transported to other generator sites. So uh, because there are costs and there are liabilities associated with the waste that are being produced, uh, even at a very small quantity generator site. What EPA is is doing in this is allowing that waste from that very small quantity generator to be shipped to uh, another site, remember generators are by site, to another site under the same control, uh, 
So essentially mm-hmm. the same ownership, right. management structure, you know, ABC company site in one location to an ABC company site in another location. Uh, to allow them to consolidate it there and then move that entire amount perhaps onto some hazardous waste facility. So uh, kind of encourage good management and uh, without requiring this other generator site to have to get a permit to uh, to receive that waste. Uh, there are a couple of restrictions. Uh, the very small quantity generator can only send it to uh, sites under the same control that are large quantity generator sites. So if the other site is a small quantity generator, they wouldn't be allowed to do that. Uh, there are some special marking requirements for the containers. They're different than what we discussed earlier, and they're unique to, uh, to this uh, type of waste handling. Uh, and the large quantity generator site that receives the waste from these very small quantity generator sites is going to have to notify the EPA or the state agency to let them know they're doing it uh, and which very small quantity generator sites they're getting that waste from. And they are, are going to have to keep records of those waste shipments, and they can't store this waste indefinitely. They, they're still only limited to 90 days storage at their site. So that's a, the very small quantity generator consolidation option. The, the other that uh, EPA put in the generator improvements rule is this episodic uh, generation uh, relief. And they define episodic event essentially as some event that's taking place at this site, at this generator site, that goes outside of their, their norm uh, and would, based on the quantities of waste, uh, they could be planned or unplanned, uh, but based on the quantities, would typically, when you add that up, would throw them into the higher generator categories. Uh, and that has big relevance, as I mentioned earlier. You know, the more waste you produce, the more stringent the requirements are. So what this episodic event relief does is it allows these very small or small quantity generator sites to have one episodic event in a calendar year. Okay. Uh that would not change their generator status for the rest of the waste that they produce at that site throughout the year. Uh, That could be a planned event or an unplanned event, uh, but allows them to do that without adversely impacting all the other things. So, for example, as a very small quantity generator, uh, they don't have to manifest their hazardous waste shipments. They don't have to have, you know, documented uh, training plans or contingency plans. So this would still allow that site to remain as that very small quantity generator, manage this episodic waste differently, a little bit more stringently, but not impact the rest of uh, the waste and their generator status. Right, so a little more flexibility there. Yeah, a little bit more, yeah. They, they Again, there's going to be some more paperwork involved, notifications right. and things and accumulation time limits. Uh, and they're allowed the one a year. They could potentially have a second one a year, but that's a little bit more rigorous, and it's contingent upon approval from the agency. So there's one that's built in. They don't have to worry about it, but a second one potentially. Awesome. So, okay, finally, uh, because we're running short a little bit on time here, so I have a a final question for you, Scott. And um, so there's a lot of changes going on um, in the EPA. We have a new uh, president-elect Trump. 
and uh, Scott Pruitt nominated to uh, head the Environmental Protection Agency. So that aside, what would you consider the most burdensome requirement in the new hazardous waste generator improvements rule? And then what do you like best about uh, what this rule uh, may do for the regulated community? Yeah. Um, the first one, honestly, my position has changed a little bit in the last uh, couple of weeks after <laughs> doing some training, I think, uh, and, and working with some generators. I think before then, um, I, I probably would have said the most burdensome requirements would have been the new requirements for generators to uh, uh, re-notify and some of the impact on the, on the biannual reporting as well that's kind of tied into that. Uh, especially for small quantity generators, the issue of renotification certainly appears on its face to be a very noticeable, more stringent requirement, uh, more paperwork, more things you have to stay on top of on a periodic basis. Uh, and, and I honestly didn't think that some of the, the communication requirements uh, that where they're making them more uniform was really going to be a, a huge deal. Uh, until last week, I did a, a training program for uh, for a site, and the site is a, a retail establishment, and and they have many stores across the country. Uh, many of the containers that they're storing these different types of hazardous waste in, really, when you think about the types of waste that they produce, are really small. Right. And this added burden of uh, trying to indicate the hazards of the contents in the device is going to be a real big challenge for them, something I didn't think about. When you think about it on a more uh, bigger scale, a manufacturing type of, uh, of facility, sure. probably not going to be as big a deal. Uh, but for these retail types of establishments or folks that might have fairly compatible materials that they kind of consolidate um, in the small amounts, trying to put all of this information for all the various types of hazardous waste that's going to be tough, and you multiply that out by the number of sites that they have. And I think the lag in states coming uh, up to the plate to uh, to adopt even the more stringent requirements is going to create a challenge for uh, for a lot of generators because right. the states do have to adopt those more stringent requirements, but that's not going to happen all at one time. And so there's going to be that lag effect that they'll have to uh, uh, struggle with. Excellent. Yeah. So, is there anything that you like that, that you really like about this new rule? Um, I, I do. I, I, I do like the fact that uh, there were certain parts where they have uh, restructured, making it a lot easier, especially for the smaller yeah. generators, to find the requirements that they need uh, to follow to stay in compliance. You know, somebody like me who's a regulatory geek, it's fine for me to have to go from one portion to another. Right. <laughs> you know, a generator uh, who's got the hazardous waste compliance requirements on top of everything else that they have to deal with, to make it easier for them to find all the requirements in one place, uh, that seems to be a win to me. Yeah. Um, again, it's, some generators are still going to have to do some uh, flipping, but... Uh, for the smaller generators with limited resources, I think that that is good news for them. A good news, yeah. All right, so Scott, do you have any follow-up uh, information for us today? Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, Lion does have uh, uh, a number of uh, options if folks want some more information. 
We do actually have a, a more detailed webinar where we break down the, the new rules for doing that uh, uh, quite a bit over the next couple of months, uh, as well as incorporating it into our standard training. Uh, folks can go to our website at www.lion.com uh, and look at the catalog for all the detailed information on that. Awesome. So that's all we have for this episode of EHS on Tap. I'd like to thank Scott Dunsmore for joining us. If you would like to follow up with Scott, he can be reached um, by email at scd at lion.com. So this podcast was brought to you by BLR. Thanks for listening, everyone, and stay tuned for our next podcast on OSHA's new walking, working surfaces rule. Thanks, everyone.